0: Good morning. I'm going to start by asking a question. Um, how many of you like to travel? Raise your hand if you like to travel. How many of you love to travel? You just you're a travel. Wow, all of us. <laughs> um, but let me ask the question again. Listen carefully. How many of you like to travel? meaning? Planes, cars, suitcases, security, airplanes rushing to get out, standing up immediately when they turn that light on. Bing, 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 as if it's going to get us there any faster. Let me rephrase the question. How many of you love to travel? Maybe a few. A few few, um, travel freaks out there. Um, About, I guess it's been... Fifteen years, goodness. I was working in a job um, for the Vineyard. At one point, the, my boss um, said to me, kind of a long story, but to develop the Vineyard music um, domestically and around the world, I'll never forget it when John Wimber handed me a, a corporate American Express card and said, with my name on it and said, here you go, go distribute and... Um, disseminate this world around, this music around the world, and these were wonderful years, because I traveled and traveled and traveled and traveled and traveled, and um, I love to travel just like you, but after a while, and those of you that travel often know that it is a pain. I mean, remember your first airplane trip, can you turn it down a little bit, your first airplane, remember your first airplane trip, and you were so thrilled and so excited, and man, you just couldn't wait, now remember your last airplane trip. You know, it's just not quite the same. Traveling is a pain in many ways, but getting there isn't a pain. Once we arrive and we settle, you know, on the beach, the bags are unpacked, whatever it is, then we've reached our destination. And so there is a difference. Do we love to travel or do we just really want to get there? Um, And the Bible has some very, very clear words on the idea of traveling, um, because we're on a journey, aren't we, with God? In fact, one of the most common phrases we use for our Christianity is our walk with God, right? Our walk—it's a journey that we're on. And you could open the bulletin because I'm going to teach out of first the reading from First Corinthians. In the backdrop, and some of you. The city of Corinth, which was a lot like LA in the 21st century, it was busy, it was bustling, there was a lot going on, a lot of ideas. This was a cutting-edge town. It was not a rural area in any way. There were there were arts, there were entertainment, ideas, a lot of restaurants and things like that. And so this is a very similar culture. So the backdrop here you know, is is a lot like, believe it or not, it was 2,000 years ago, but being relative, these people were in a very similar place as we would be today. And previous to chapter um, 10, Paul uses this famous analogy. Again, think of moving or traveling, of running a race. And he says, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to um, make a parallel between our walk with God and running of a race. <clears throat> he says, run in such a way as to get the prize. <clears throat> Let me find my. There it is. And so, as I speak today, I really want you as much as possible to see us as a community, or yourself as a Christian, very similar to the people in Corinth that Paul was writing this letter to two thousand years ago. This will be. This is kind of vital. Well, that was two thousand years ago. It has no relevance. Very important for today's message that we see ourselves here in our various trials and tribulations and joys and challenges in our walk with God very similar to the people in Corinth. Paul wrote a letter he sent it off to be read in churches just like this 2,000 years ago but in this passage Paul talks about the Israelites coming out of Egypt um, hundreds of years earlier okay so they're kind of three big segments in time the Israelites the Corinthian, and us today. That's kind of a, a backdrop. And so let's read verses 1 through 5. Paul says, I, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Not such a pretty picture. Some succeeded in the journey. Many didn't. Their bones probably still there. And so there's a sobering message here for us. But Paul offers advice for the journeyers. And he says in verse 6, Now these things occurred as examples to us to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So now Paul's going to teach. He kind of tells the story and he says, look, they were just like you. They were on a journey. They were kind of doing life and there were struggles and everything. Some of them made it. Some of them didn't. Some of them succeeded. Some of them failed. But what happened over here hundreds of years ago happened as an example. He's saying, listen up. This is relevant to you. The reason that they failed was that they set their hearts. Really pay attention to that phrase. Whatever that means to you, set their hearts on the wrong things. They set their hearts on the wrong things. And as a result of that, I'm going to read 7 um, through 10. Do not be idolaters, some of them were. Um, verse 8, we should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. Verse 9, we should not test Christ, as some of them did. Verse 10, and do not grumble, as some of them did. And so, what you had, and many of us know this story, is the Israelites moving along a line had spoken to them. They were excited when they bought their tickets, you know. And they were, like our first airplane trip, excited to go on the journey. But along the journey, they struggled. Just like we all do when we travel. I mean, I don't think any of... Todd right now, by the way, a little update on Todd. He's in a U-Haul, right, Debbie? What? (laughs) Todd's driving down from... Um, Idaho. Um, they're moving, as you know. They've, hunters are going to close escrow here. <laughs> That's a good thing. And, um, but traveling's hard sometimes. It's a pain. And these people were setting their minds on the past. That's what happened to the Israelites. They remembered the good old days of, and the Bible gets specific for those of you who, like myself, love Mediterranean food, um, garlic and leeks, and just good food. You know, they had this bland stuff called manna, and they were tired. And so what they set their minds on was the past. How many of you set your minds on the past sometimes? Reminisce. Remember the good old days? Things were easier, more simple. Maybe there was more money in the bank, right? Do we? Are we connecting? Anyone ever do that? That's all that's going on here. They're setting their minds on the vision, not on the reality of travel, which those of you that understand a little bit of French know that the French word is travail, which means travail, <laughs> which means a pain in the rear. That's what traveling means. It's hard. Well, these people didn't realize that or they had forgotten that to travel means pain. That's just what it means, in French at least. And I think in English it should. Because there's no such thing as traveling without pain. Even for those diehard travelers um, who love the planes, you're still going to have someone sitting next to you and taking that little Three inches of arm space from you, or something. Traveling is hard. Paul says in verse 11, I'm warning you. It's pretty sober. And God sends a plague on those who commit sexual immorality, which according to Jesus is just looking upon a woman to lust after her. Yikes. He's going to kill those who test God, this is what Paul's saying, with snakes. So any of us that remember better days of better food or nicer cars, that's all that they were doing is complaining and grumbling. And all these snakes come out and bite them. Um, He puts a plague on the grumblers. Is that going to happen to us? A 21st century? Plagues? Snakes? What in the world is Paul talking about? It didn't happen to the Corinthian church, as far as we know. We don't know of any snakes or plagues that hit Corinth in the first few hundred years. Bad stuff happened to them. But listen to this, and maybe I'm stretching it a bit, and you might disagree. What is the current research on the effects of negative thinking today? Depression. I mean, I'm seeing someone who knows a thing or two about this as a a professional nod. But we know probably that if we grumble and complain and whine and resent a previous time in our life when things are better we're pretty sure snakes aren't going to come out of our you know sinks and devour us or we're probably not going to get you know the bubonic plague is not going to come back but there is a kind of plague i think isn't there in grumbling in not accepting where God has us. Bad stuff happens when we set our minds and hearts on the wrong things. So, sadly, yesterday, Edison um, was recovering from his first, since our 11-year-old, he was recovering from his first all-nighter with the... And so he came home and he was Is he here? No, he's not here. He was um, crying and just, wasn't he? He was just very colorful um, (laughs) in shades of gray and beige. And and he wanted to go to Lego store with mom. His mom was taking Elliot, and mom said, no, you need to stay home. It was like 10 o'clock. He'd been up all night. He was crying, he was carrying on, he was slobbering. I mean, it was just (laughs) ugly. And those of you that are parents know that oftentimes, because we love our children, right, out of our love for them, we say no to things. And that's kind of a common phrase we use in our house, no, because I love you. Daddy, can I have whatever, whatever it is. uh, Today, I've probably already been asked for... Donuts, Coke, TV, whatever—you know—it happens all the time. No, because I love you. And God is just saying, and Paul is just saying. See, we think of the rules. Oftentimes, we're conditioned to think of the rules of Scripture as just killjoy imperatives. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of how we think. We're conditioned to think of not complaining, not whining sexual immorality um, as God is this kind of killjoy being but all he was saying to the Israelites and all Paul was saying to people just like you and me is this stuff will kill you sexual immorality idolatry reminiscing about the better days Grumbling and being resentful about what you don't have. And now we know physiologically that it can kill you. Physiologically, certainly psychologically, and definitely spiritually. So God isn't, and Paul isn't writing this with some kind of killjoy attitude. He's saying, pick your poison. Grumbling, complaining, whining, and not accepting, as they teach in the 12 steps. What what God has given you, indulge, pay the price that way, or accept. God wants us to flourish, and it's because He loves us. So how do we overcome, and I hope by now we're all thinking, all right, so they were on this journey, and you know, it was hard, and they were walking with God, and along the way there were challenges. And when those challenges came, they didn't have the good food, and they didn't have the, you know, the heather beds or whatever they slept on in Egypt, and and all the niceties, they started complaining and grumbling, they got mad at Moses, they were living in the past, they were not, as the serenity prayer says, accepting the things that they cannot change, How do we overcome frustration today? So are any of you frustrated? You don't have to nod your head. Reminiscing about better days, resentful about where you are in life because of a relationship perhaps, because of financial situation, because of health. I only wish that, and you're going back, and I do it too. So we're not beating anyone up here. How do we overcome that? Okay, here's how. I have one sentence. Not. It's not easy. But I want to give a few, um, few thoughts. Hopefully they'll help you. Maybe you'll write them down. The first is just to accept that travel travail. We're on a journey. We have a walk with Journeys are tough, by definition. Just say it right now. Journeys are tough. Traveling is hard. So you either travel or you just decide you're not going to travel anymore and you chuck it in. Scott Peck says the famous sentence in the first chapter, the first paragraph life is difficult. Traveling is difficult. That's not some fatalistic message it's just reality here's some synonyms for travel trial tribulation trouble hardship privation that's a good one considering that they were lamenting that they didn't have the nice food that they wanted stress drudgery toil slog effort exertion labor work endeavor sweat struggle And Paul says later on don't be weary and well-doing for in due time you will receive your reward if you do not give up. Right? You will get to London, even though you're stuck in Chicago. Paul says, in due time you'll get your reward if you do not give up. Our reward is heaven. The second is, um, except that the, 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 the trials and the tests and the tribulations and the very specific thing That's bugging you, that has you depressed or frustrated today or yesterday or this week. In verse 13, Paul says that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to us all. Have you ever said, I can't believe this is happening to me? Come on, have you? Do you find yourself, I can't believe this is happening to me. No temptation or trial is unique. The stuff we're dealing with today is just like the stuff they were dealing with 1,000 years ago, which is just like the stuff the Israelites were dealing with. Frustration, resentment, thinking of living in the past, that's the reality of traveling. Oh, it would be so nice to be home. Oh, it would be so nice to get there. And we're stuck in Chicago. Traveling instinct. The third point is accept that this world is filled with drug addicts. What? What's he talking about? What are you talking about, Paul? Well, we think of drug addicts as people like that inject coke. Is that what they do? Inject coke? Snort. Snort coke. I have a big past in coke you can see. No, I didn't. Um, but. We think of drug addicts as, 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 as alcohol and coke and, and pot. But we're really a bunch of feel-good-aholics at the end of the day, aren't we? Are you a feel good Okay, If something's not working, because not, not many people... Do you love to feel good? Do you just... Are you moving in the direction of wanting to just increase your pleasure pretty much all the time? Perhaps do you even have an addiction to wanting to feel good? You might not agree, but at the end of the day, the psychological community, even with things like depression, psychologists will say it's a drug. It's a choice. It's no different than cocaine. Complaining. It produces a chemical in your mind. So whether it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll, or whether it's just this perpetual state of being miserable and grumbling and complaining and whining, sorry it all is a drug in our head that is created by that state of mind. We're all, in a sense, a bunch of drug addicts waiting for a fix to inject into ourselves now like they couldn't have, so instead, since they can't have it, since they couldn't accept that they were on a journey and journeys are hard, what do they do? They inject themselves with another kind of drug. Complaining, whining, and resentment. Oh, I feel so much better now. I'm, 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 I'm mad at Moses, and I've just raged out on him, and I'm angry. C.S. Lewis is a smart dude, and he says this. Sometimes I refer to this as the blaws. So we're going to Disneyland later, kids. It's going to be a blast. Be fun. I can't wait. We're going rides, hang out, videotape them, right? But some of you aren't going to Disneyland, and maybe you have nothing planned today, and you might be <laughs> agitated or. Bored, right? C.S. Lewis talks about the blahs. times in our lives where things are just boring. Where we feel stuck. Where there doesn't seem to be a lot going on. And we want change. And he says, he calls it the horror of the same old thing. And he says, the horror of the same old thing is one of the most valuable passions we have produced in the human heart. An endless source of heresies in religion, folly in counsel, infidelity in marriage, and inconstancy in friendship. The humans live in time and experience reality successively. To experience much of it, therefore they must experience many different things. And if that doesn't make any sense to you, the idea is that Paul says, I'm content in any and every situation, whether living well-fed or plenty. And that's hard. That's where the Israelites were. Stuck in the desert, not having the kind of food that they wanted. Cold, homeless, and frustrated. Paul's talking to the Corinthians church and he's saying, guys, understand that the journey that we're on is hard. And it's going to be boring. And there are going to be seasons where you do not have what you want. And that's where many of us are at today. And finally, accept that we're not God. I know I'm not God, Paul. What does that mean to accept that we're not God? Back to the serenity prayer. I think, other than the Our Father, the most prayed prayer ever And the first line just simply says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And we've all heard it before. And it seems trivial or trite, but if you're missing the power of it, pay attention right now. I didn't write it. When we play God, we want to change things that we can't change. This is so basic that it almost sounds ridiculously silly. The Israelites could not produce garlic and leeks like that. They weren't God. God could have rained down leeks and garlic and fresh lamb from heaven. He didn't rain down lamb and leeks and garlic from heaven. He rained down boring manna. And those that perished couldn't accept that. They couldn't accept it because They hadn't understood the idea of, God, grant me the serenity. I'm not you. This is what you've given me. Wow. I'm not you. This is what you've given me. Wow. I'm not you, God. Cool. Now I feel better. I'm not you. This is what you've given me. I accept it. Paul got this when he says, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether living well or in plenty. He had gotten this idea that he wasn't God. God has us where we are right now because he's God, because he knows what's best for us. And the secret to lowering our blood pressure and removing the stress is saying, all right, wow, Wow! These cravings, the reminiscing, whatever it might be, you are God. And I'm accepting that. Traveling is hard, and I'm accepting that. I'm going on a trip, and it's going to be a pain, and they might lose my luck, and I might... And I might and I see. Wow! I'm going to continue traveling. It's the nature of traveling. And so, we need to set our minds in this crazy age, and I could go I'm way over and... And, and, and this cra- I just did this quick study, and then I'm going to end here. Um, um, there was a question asked in a, in a survey recently. How much income per year would you and your family need to fulfill all your dreams? This was done in the 90s. And I'm, I'm, I'm giving this statistic because of the age in which we live, where enough is never enough. And it, it's, it's pressing on us all the time. All the time. Enough is your house bigger Newer this, newer that all the time. Response, 1987. How much money do you need as a family to to live the kind of life you want to live? 1987, $50,000 response. This is done by the University of Connecticut. In 1989, they did the study. The number had gone up to $75,000. Family of four, how much money do you need to live the good life? By 1991, three years later, it was $84,000. And by 1994, this was every three years or so, it had gone up to $102,000. Family four to live the good life. And, and the, 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 the importance there is, is obvious, that failing to accept where we are, failing to accept the resources, the money, families that God has given us, results in this ridiculous idea that we could recreate the past or we could somehow be happier if he would change something like our income immediately. Paul says, set your minds on the right things. And I'll close with his classic exhortation. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, such as where I am today, whatever is noble, such as the courage to change the things I can, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, set your minds on those things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, Or seen in me, such as my contentment, put that into practice. And then, when you set your mind on those things, the peace of God will be with you. And the anxiety, stress... Frustration, resentment will not. Amen? Let's stand. Thank you for listening. For more information about Holy Trinity Church, please visit us online at www.myholytrinitychurch.com.